I've been asked to share my story, or I kind of volunteer to do it, I guess. And so I, I, I was talking to a friend last week who is in the middle of her story. She has been married for a couple of years and really wants to have children and is working through the different medical sides of that. She said, now, is this hard to, you know, share this? And I said, oh, no, I'm on the other side of this, and it's wonderful to kind of like Joseph, you know, he was, he had no idea in the prison what it was going to be like, but it's a whole lot more fun once you're through all that to look back. And then as I started going back and opening all the files up in my mind, I was like, oh, I've forgotten about that. I'd forgotten about that because I'm talking 20 years and, you know, farther on. One thing that also I wanted to share is why I said it's my 102-year journey, infertility, my a journey of 102 years for me. That'll kind of make sense in a little bit. My first time to meet Margaret Eaton was when I was visiting Washington, D.C. in the fall of, I believe it was 1994. I was on an art tour in Washington, D.C. with the BJU Art Department. I was asked to meet her, an usher. I was in a Sunday morning service. An usher went and got her and brought her over to me. And I looked at her. And she was a little short lady with gray hair and kind of spunky. And I said, hi, I'm Christina, and I know your grandson, John Heffernan. And she looked at me with this little sparkle in her eye, and she said, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first time I met her. Immediately, we were instant friends. Uh, Loved her to death. That was the first time I met her. Fifteen years later, her last words to me were, turn out the lights. And I did that and walked away from her hospital room knowing I'd never see her again on this earth. She is very instrumental in our story, and I'll kind of wrap that up. And if I don't wrap it up at the end, wave wave me down, because I might forget. First of all, I just wanted to kind of think about why, why do we like to share stories and hear stories about what people have been through? Why do you want to hear my story? Why should I share my story? One of the reasons I wanted to share it is because, you know, it lets you know what my life is what I kind of went through in my own life for the past, you know, I've been married 21 years now. And then also, uh, obviously, to bring glory to God for what he's done through me through this specific trial. What should trials do in us? They should turn us to the Lord. It's not easy to go through trials. You all have been through them. You don't live very long on this earth before you go through them. But they do, they do something to us physically mentally and spiritually and there's always a way to go through it and stay close to God as I was thinking through this I was like why did I I mean I kind of know why I choose you know obviously God's love you know a vast as the ocean is the song we just listened to from uh, the Irish one of the Irish uh, tenors not tenors but you know what I mean as I was thinking through why I wanted to choose that beautiful song and that theme for this, I was thinking, you know, really, because there's so many different, and I used the word undercurrent in my thought, there's so many different things. You can't just, there's no way I can remember everything that happened the past 21 years. I don't want to, and there's no way I can share with you everything, and I don't need to. But I really appreciate the fact that through all that undercurrent, my mom doesn't even know this, but when I posted our picture on Facebook Sunday night, I was so thankful that at a young age, um, I did crush, trust Christ, Christ as my Savior when I was five, six, somewhere around there. I had, I always tell people I did something wrong. I disobeyed my mom, dad, something or other. And I was, I really felt that guilt. I remember feeling that guilt of knowing 
I have sinned. Yeah, I know. You, you tell me that, that I was watching Superman. And I wasn't supposed to, but I don't remember that part of it. I just remember I was ready. And my mom got, and I got to, we got, we were, she told me about Jesus who took the burdens for my sin. And, and that I'm sure had been reinforced by Sunday school and all the other different things and prayed to trust Christ as my savior that night. And I knew that immediate release, that immediate burden was lifted. I doubted a little bit later on in my life, some things, but not really. So I was thankful for that. His, he saved me at that time. But if you think about as you're going to see kind of the theme going on tonight of really of Hannah. Uh, I was thankful that Kenny got to speak on that on Sunday morning because Hannah, and I don't have the scriptures open um, in front of me right here to read through it. And I, I think most of us are familiar with the story. She had the co-wife, <laughs> Penina or Penina, however you want to pronounce that. And she was the adversary in our spiritual lives. We all have an adversary. I didn't, I had the spiritual adversary of Satan just constantly kind of, you know, bombarding me in my mind. So trials have a lot of mental, there's a lot of mental battles you go through. But during that time, God was always so faithful. As I was growing up, mom was always very good about sending me back to the word of God. Okay, what does the word of God, you know, say about this or say about that? And so I got into that habit of early age. Also, when I was, I was baptized in fifth grade and in sixth grade, I moved to a Christian school and at the end of that year, our Bible teacher, who was the pastor's wife, her name was Mrs. Andrus, she challenged us as we were leaving out the door for summer break, hey, just read the Bible five minutes every day. And I don't really remember. They probably encouraged us to do that too. But anyways, I just, that stuck in my head like, oh, I can do that five minutes a day, you know? So I kind of got into that habit of Bible reading every day. Through that, of course, they had us in church faithfully. We were active in all kinds of everything that we could do with church and Christian school activities and stuff. And there's a reason why I'm kind of laying this groundwork here. That during the junior high time, I just remember understanding the Holy Spirit illuminated my mind to the understanding that of his sovereignty, that he was in control. If something happened in my life, he had allowed that. And that truth was so important. You know, when I was dealing with those little junior high issues of, you know, this girl's mad at me or whatever, you know, I, you know, you just, when you realize there's a, something bigger going on. And I remember um, wanting close friends that loved God. I remember wanting to go in that, that right direction of following, following after the Lord. And interesting too, you know, it's interesting how we name our children, just having the name Christina with Christ in my name really kind of also was a a motivating factor of thinking I I have the name of Christ and um, plus being a Christian. Also uh, when we, we, most of you know, it was hard to believe, 30 years ago, this June, our family moved to Greenville. Can you believe that? I was in ninth grade 30 years ago. I knew I was old, but ooh. <laughs> and then, of course, that was traumatic for my little life. But again, God used that. I remember crying every day after school, and Mom would be like, I love you. And I, But I knew we were supposed to be here. I knew God was working in my life. So when I was in school until 99 when we moved um, in, uh, to Kansas, but during those summers, uh, when I was in college, I got to work at Christian camp. There was a lady there that gave a devotional. Uh, I don't remember much about it. I don't remember anything about the passage or anything like that. But I do remember that she shared this truth, which is, I want what God wants. And that nugget stuck in my mind and carried me through everything that had to do with this, t- well, everything, but especially this topic. And that is what I wrote on everybody's little uh, jar tag. So you're welcome to take that with you. 
Otherwise, the little things are just going to go in the trash. <laughs> but just, I want what God wants. You know, if you need that little reminder. But it really stuck in my head, and it really helped me um, through a lot of the different things. Just God's sovereignty. God cares for me. He loves me. And my response is, if he's chosen that for me, that's what I want. And it really, really helped. All right, John and I got married in December of 1995, so 21 and a half years ago. The psalm of that day was um, that our pastor shared with us was Psalm 127, 127. And of course, which is, it's, um, it's the Lord that builds the house. But also in there is that verse that children are reward. And that verse was really hard for me when I went through 14 years of waiting. Children are reward. And I had to deal with that mental battle. And again, a lot of times during trials, you know, we have to come face to face with what I'm experiencing doesn't match up with God's word sometimes. I'm experiencing this, but this is what God says, and I don't, I don't feel it. <laughs> you know, and it gets tough when your feelings and your experiences, your emotions, the trials don't match up with what maybe you're, you expected or something. And so I had to kind of wrestle with that verse, like, okay, am I doing something wrong? Does he not want to reward me? Should I have children? You know, all these questions that you kind of have to go through in a very private, lonely way. And yet through that, he pulled me into him more because his whole, his whole purpose for all of that, you know, you, that was what he gave me as a gift was that trial. He's given you other gifts to pull you towards him through that time he was refining my theology, my study of God, who he is. Because a lot of times we don't even realize, we think we know who God is. And trials help us to understand who God really is, like Job. Now, I'm not at all comparing myself to Job. I've not been through what he's been through. But the whole point of God was, you have, you're have you skewed in your theology here. and You really need to understand who I am and that I am sovereign. The, the, the answer God gave me about that specific verse was it is more like that verse is for people to remind them who already have children. Oh, by the way, you're a new mama. You're pulled at both ends. These little boys, little girls, you know, grandchildren, they're a reward. They're, they, they're a blessing. So it's not a punishment verse. You know, you don't have this. I've given it to other. It's more on the other side for those that already have them, they're a reward and God will sustain you and help you. Also, when we got married, I just thought I'd get pregnant right away. I mean, I just thought you get married, you get you have babies, you know? So there was those expectations. And a lot of times we have expectations about all kinds of things. We have ex- expectations about people, uh, especially when we get married. <laughs> I thought he was going to treat me after marriage like he did while he was courting me, you know? <laughs> calling me all, writing me love notes, wanting to see me at any moment, you know. And now you're married, and it's like, bye, honey, see you later. Hope you keep the house clean, you know, whatever, you know, expectations and stuff, um, which I'm madly in love with my husband, so don't worry about it. So there was those expectations, and then, you know, just kind of got busy with life. And I was asking some friends of mine, and I, you can even do raise a hands here, how many of you, when you first got married, I mean, you wanted babies right away. I mean, you just wanted them right away. You got married, and you were, I want babies. How many of you were a little nervous, like, Okay, maybe a little bit later I'll wait for baby. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, I, I talked to my friends one time, and I thought when everybody got married, I, I just, one of those things where you think it's like how you, I thought everybody was a little nervous and wanted to wait. 
And then I talked to a bunch of my girlfriends in Oklahoma and it was like, oh no, we wanted babies right away. And I, you know, I was like, what was wrong with me? Why did I, you know? So, but I think part of it was that somebody kind of put a, gave us um, a disease of our mind that we didn't need, which was John was preparing for the ministry. I should say pastor preparing for the ministry, going to do grad school and well, if, you know, if you get pregnant, you'll be in school forever and you'll never get out of here and the Lord wants you to go, you know, that's one of those things like, oh no, if I get pregnant, that'll mess up everything, you know, which is totally, you know, crazy. It's like, no, 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 children are reward. They're, you know, the heritage, it wouldn't mess up anything. But for whatever reason, I had those quirky thoughts, you know, and so the Lord had to work all that out too about, you know, children are a gift and a blessing. And, and, but I always, at the same time, I always wanted five. All right. So we both did grad school. Uh, he got his um, master on pastoral something or other, and I got mine in art. And then we moved to Kansas in 99. So again, we were three years, we moved, moved to Kansas in 99. Three years later, we moved. So, you know, when you're every three years kind of moving and you don't have kids and you're, it, it kind of breaks things up and you don't really notice you don't have kids. I mean, you don't have them, but, but, you know, meanwhile, girlfriends are having, getting married, having kids and stuff like that. And it wasn't too traumatic, but then you get somewhere and you, you get set and then the years go on and, you come to church, how you doing? You know, and oh, I, you know, I'm feeling kind of, oh, maybe you're pregnant. You know, all those little comments start because you've been married eight years or something like that. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And so I learned to little phrases not to say, like, I never talked about how I felt, you know, <laughs> you know, because people, you know, we just love on each other. We want everybody to, feel, you know, enjoy children. And, and so there was that where I had to learn to give grace to other people and not to be offended when people pulled me in a side room and said, by the way, I've got this great way to help you get pregnant, blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing, that personal stuff. You're like, I didn't want to know that, you know. And one of the hardest things for us as women sometimes is when we see somebody and we, we don't want to, we don't know what to do. We don't know if we should ask. We don't know if they want to talk, if they don't want to talk, you know. We don't know how much we should know about. And then we say, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be pushy. Or, and a lot of times, you know what, sometimes we may say the wrong thing at the wrong time and we just say, can you forgive me or can you give me grace? Uh, you know, or sometimes people, sometimes, you know what? We just won't ever know. I have a friend that told me a story about how a relative passed away and I want to call her up and just ask her so many questions. I'm like, Christina, it is none of your business. You don't need to know all that. Okay. Just learning to just, sometimes we don't need to know everything, but at the same time, letting people know we do care and understanding that you know, we can train our children. For instance, I had a, a you know, a teenage girl come up being, you just need to have a baby, Mrs. Heffernan. You know, one of those. And I'm just like, oh. I'm being recorded, so I won't say what I thought. <laughs> you know, but, you know, and I had to extend grace and just, you know, and Pastor mentioned some of those thoughts, either Sunday morning or Sunday night, some things that people said. So we can learn, obviously, none of you, you know, but, um, and also I thought it was neat. Well, Kenny was teaching on Sunday how, uh, Julie, you mentioned this, how men just don't get the pain. They don't understand the longing, the agony, you know, and they can try and some maybe do, but, but really, you know, he said, am I better than 10 sons, sons to you, you know? And it, you know, when men get married, they're like, I am God's gift to you, woman. I mean, I am God's gift to you, woman. What else? I mean, it's, it's me and that, you know, why would I, you know, what else do you, do you need, you know? And they just, we're just given this gift, that longing in our hearts to, we see babies even now when we think, oh, I want another one, you know, and we want to kiss on them and grandchildren would spend time with them and, and then give them back. <laughs> okay. So we lived in, obviously you remember 14 years in Oklahoma City. So there's a whole lot of uh, experiences there. I'm going to highlight just a few. 
the year after we moved there, we started taking a class, which we'd actually already taken before. It was kind of helped the people in that area, uh, in our church family, just a, a, like a Monday night Bible study where it was a video studying the, the word. And I tell you what, I, I didn't think, as I was trying to remember, so I was like, oh, I wasn't going through too hard of a struggle. I was doing okay. And then I remembered this. And then I remembered when it was. I was like, wow, I was really struggling more than I remembered with just God's plan. You know, because when you can't have kids, you just don't know, okay, should we adopt? Should we foster care? Should we uh, not, not have kids? Because that's God's perfect will too for some people. And then it's, and then I started going through the trial of trying to figure out why. Why couldn't I have kids? Why can't I just get pregnant when everybody else does? And some people that aren't even married go, whatever, for a week, whatever, you know. And I wasn't angry or bitter. I was just confused. And I hadn't, we hadn't taken the time to have the science side of it answered. And I wish I had. The first year, I wish I had just gone ahead and had whatever tests I needed to have done to find out why. But this verse passage really, oh man, it just, uh, the Lord gave it to me at just the right time to really heal my soul. Because we were studying in John 9, and it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, or he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And that verse was so comforting to me. Because I thought, I really struggled. Did I do something wrong when I was a kid? You know, I took gymnastics. Should I have not done gymnastics? You know, all crazy stuff like that. That has nothing to do with whether or not I could have kids or not. You know, but it was amazing, the bombardment that um, Satan would just, those, those fiery darts. And it was such a comfort to know that I was born this way. That was God's plan. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he loves me. And then what was even uh, more exciting is when we actually had the different tests done and the doctor's like, I don't know. You were probably just born this way. And what a comfort that was. And in one sense, just to have a doctor say, I don't know, you're probably, you know, and it was like, oh, you know, just that, again, just finding some kind of answer. In Psalm 37, 4, that's one of those typical verses that you struggle with. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Well, we feel like it doesn't always work that way. But I, this is what I desire, and I don't have what I desire. You know, that kind of struggle. And when you go through that, month after month, you're reminded of what you don't have. And I had to really focus not on the the uh, what I don't have, but focusing on serving others, that God had a plan. As I was learning that battle of contentment and just being, um, and I never was really, I, I wouldn't ever say I was so discontent. I mean, I had heard of a story of a, girl that couldn't have kids and she ended up leaving her husband for a guy that she'd met and then you know that kind of extreme thing it wasn't anything like that but just that what's God doing and then that that trusting him with his sovereignty so what that verse taught me is that when my delight is in the Lord he is truly all I need the deepest desire of our hearts is to be reunited with God if you can understand what I'm saying there delight yourself in the um, in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and the deepest desire of your heart should be to be at one at peace reunited with God in salvation and then living in that way that's truly our greatest desire but sometimes he also blesses us in other ways another struggle I kind of went through is when for that long when you don't have children there really was a struggle to fit in in the ministry because I, you know, I was 
married to the youth pastor so I could do all the fun things. We, I, we, we jokingly say we did our retirement years first. And, and that, and, uh, you know, we got to go to uh, Mexico. We got to go to Utah. Uh, we got to do all kinds. Of, so I was always with them. So that was a ton of fun. You know, camps. I never, I never had to get a babysitter, you know, all that kind of stuff. I really think God also used that because if I had been one of those that we went in the ministry, I already had four kids or something like that. I think I really would have gotten bitter with how much he would have been gone. And so I think the Lord gave me that gift of being with him a lot so I could really enjoy that time and see. And then when I, he finally did give me the boys, I was like, goodbye, have fun. You know, <laughs> I'm home with my babies, you know, and I was really, really content with that for the most part. I mean, there were times I was like, okay, a little help here. Uh, but when I, before I had the kids, a lot of times I'd be kind of in ministry stuff and dealing with maybe issues with leadership. And I would think, you know, I had kids and I was home, I wouldn't have to kind of deal with this stuff, you know? And so as you pray for single ladies and, and different things they have to go through, that can be really tough, you know, when, you, and, and also maybe it was an escape thing where I really didn't want to go through that trial. And sometimes we just want to escape and, and, and get away from something that really God really wants to do in us and through us. Another passage that really helped me was, and again, if you can see the undercurrent here, as I'm going through these different thoughts and struggles, there's always the scripture. Uh, every day I'm reading the word of God. Every day I'm praying. I'm always pouring my heart, not always, you know what I mean, praying my heart out to the Lord and working through these. And I'm intensely looking for his plan. And so that's kind of under the surface there, just that, that flow that's supporting all these little different. But one other passage that was really helpful to me was that one about, and I'm going to forget which ones, the two that were singing in the prison. Uh, with the earthquake. Yeah. You're up in front of people, you go blank, Paul and Silas and singing in the prison. And I thought, you know what? I'm in my own little, it sounds so dramatic, but little prison here where I'm, I'm struggling with this thing and I have to choose and I'm going to choose joy. Um, I wasn't good at it all the time. I did have my times when it was a real struggle, but I'm going to choose to joy. I'm going to choose to sing during this time and rejoice. I remember the year that before, yeah, the year before I got pregnant, I really came to that point and it was, it was such a wonderful relief release too, where I remember talking, I was at the, our um, Bible camp that we had one week every summer, we all got together as churches and I was always the teen girl counselor. So for years I, I loved it. It was great fun. And I just thought, you know what, Lord, if I am 55, 75, 85 years old, and I'm still here at the teen camp, but as the teen counselor for the girls, praise the Lord. And I really got to the point where I was excited about it. I was like, if it's just the two of us, great. We're just going to go on and do whatever, you know. And I remember one of the, the, the girl counselors came to me at that week and was, you know, she was a senior in college and she wasn't engaged to get married and she was all worried. And I, I just said that same thing to her. And I said, you just have to get so in love with God that you're that you're content with that. What if he's plan for you is that to be that single girl that goes out and serves him and just, you have to just come to the point where you are really content in that. It was so neat to be able to experience in that and kind of pour that into somebody else, encourage them on the way. Of course she was married a year later. So, and so that was a really neat point to get to that point and just really, um, be at total peace with all that. All right, so then there's the other side of things. Okay, so when we got to um, 2008, someone came to us and said, you know, I'm not trying to, and it was a man to John. Uh, he said, I'm not trying to butt in here. Just want to let you know, if you guys are praying about adoption, I really want to help you financially with that. And so that kind of helped 
John to start talking to me about it because I wanted to, I'm, I'm the, you know how we are as women. Let's go. Let's do, you know, let's come on. We need to, you know, come on, come on. We need to talk about this or, you know, and he wasn't ready. So finally that about that time I was getting to the point where I was really just that Hannah moment where I was just, I was like, honey, married 10 years, please. And, um, and it wasn't like he was resisting that. I mean, he wanted kids too, but he was just happy servant, happy with whatever. And he was fine to, you know, but we also were tired of kind of coming home to that empty house. You know, it was, it, it wasn't huge or anything, but it was just kind of like, it was just feeling really empty, you know, after that long. And so, so anyway, so we started the whole, what do we do process? Do we adopt? Do we foster? Uh, well, then we found out you could actually adopt uh, frozen embryos called snowflake babies. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. And then we thought, well, should we go into uh, fertility treatments or something like that? So then we had to do the research, all the ethical side of it, the Christian side, you know, the, the moral side of it, the laws for Oklahoma. What were they like here? Which hospital could you trust? Process of weeding through. And then, um, oh, by the way, you need this much money to adopt and you need this much money if you want to, you know, go through these procedures and stuff. In God's special way, um, he provided for that. I remember mom sending me a check one time for a, a really expensive procedure to find out if there was something, a cyst or something, you know, specific. And they found, I don't know, maybe something, but nothing like definitive or whatever. It was really neat. My parents live on a, a, a like a street where it kind of comes down to this point and then there's this other road behind there and it's on a hill, but the, the bottom road is, uh, was declared a floodplain. And so all the poor people, all those people got their houses. They had to move. They got bought out by the um, city. So anyway, so all those people had to move. And so all of a sudden behind them, there's no houses. And then they had a little itty bitty piece of property that they owned on the other side of that creek. The state wrote my dad a check for that little itty bitty piece of property. And he said, Chris, I want you to take this money and I want you to go through whatever you, you want to do with it. You know, and it wasn't like exorbitant, it wasn't like millions or anything, but it was enough for us to kind of take that step. I thought, wow, God, you are providing, this is amazing. And so we were able to go through some, um, uh, the procedure of actually going through IVF and which is in vitro fertilization. You know, there's a lot of questions a lot of people have about that, but I hope, you know, without going into details, I hope you'll just trust me that we would have never done anything if we felt like it would have been, um, displeasing to the Lord or compromising in us. We came to that point where we said, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to birth every single one of our embryos. And I know everybody has to come to that point where they stand before the Lord and feel comfortable with whatever. And everybody's different. But for us, we came to that point because we didn't know. We didn't know what would happen. We we realized the hospital protects life. It wasn't like in California. They had a lot of really, you could do whatever you want. That was like the time of the Octomom where she had those eight babies and stuff. And everybody was like, my mother-in-law was pretty worried about, why are you going to get somebody else's kids or you know, crazy stuff? You know, we're like, no, no, don't worry. It's all pretty, you know. So we had to, and we had to, you know, you have to deal with the science side of stuff. And so we just realized that, you know what? We see that we can go through this and stand before the Lord and give him all glory and honor. Know that we haven't done anything that would displease him. So as I went through that procedure, and um, we also had another couple in the church that gave us some money towards that. People were praying. I mean, I was in the word of God. It was amazing how every day there was just different passages that really just struck a chord in my heart and really encouraged me along that pathway. I would get cards from people and the, the very verse that I read that morning was in their card. You know, just all those neat things just came together. So it was April of 2008 and we went through the procedure and um, it didn't work. 
And so we, we were just content with that. We, you know, but it was, it was a really interesting time because you hear me say that and you think I would have just been like absolutely emotional basket case or something like that. But I wasn't because of God's sovereignty, because of God's care. And I remember sitting on my bed knowing it did not work. And, um, the first time I knew I wasn't pregnant, I even knew before they told me, but you know what? It was, it was the most precious experience. I could literally feel the presence of God in that room. It was as if an angel was in that room with me. And I don't mean to be whatever, but it it was real. It was, his presence was so there with me and comforting me and, and reassuring me of his presence. And I was just, and, uh, and what was interesting too is before that passage or before that, that weekend happened with all the, the, um, the hospital side of things, as I looked ahead in my Bible reading and right about the time I would have known the answer, I was in James one, my brother counted all joy. I actually started weeping because I knew that I was going to be there for a reason because I knew this wouldn't work. And you know how we women, we just, sometimes we know, but God's presence was so real. And at the same time, it was the strangest thing because even though I knew I wasn't pregnant, it didn't work out. He gave me all this excitement about the coming year. I was a volleyball coach for the past five, six years. And, uh, he gave me excitement about being with the girls and wanting to be, and he just kind of reassured, I have, I have something more cheap for you to do. You're not ready to be at home with babies yet. I need some, I need you, you know, in this. And it was just really neat how I, I looked ahead and I had this just absolute peace and excitement for the following year. And then we both decided, you know what? This is okay. We went through it this one time. We don't need to go through this again. Well, um, back to Grandma Margaret. During all that time, we had all kinds of interactions with Grandma Margaret, where she um, was in Washington, D.C. She lived about 20 minutes out and of D.C. in Falls Church. Anybody been up in there in a little itty-bitty house that she bought? Uh, she was born in 1915 in a not-so-good situation. I don't. She doesn't even know who her parents are. Some relative took her in, got a little bit older and married an Irish Catholic policeman who was a drunk, who beat her, a very terrible marriage. He would cheat on her. He'd crawl in the window in the middle of the night after whatever. In fact, my pastor's dad, John Thomas Sr., our son is named after him, one of John Thomas Jr., not Jr., second. Anyways, named after him. His dad would have to come in between his dad and his grandmother, so Margaret and the husband, and say, you're not going to beat my mom. And eventually he left with whatever woman. She stayed there at Falls Church and worked at the Pentagon in the mail room, sorting mail. Just stayed there and worked and worked and worked and stayed faithful. And then she'd go out to the casinos on the weekend. <laughs> she called them casinos, you know, or, or go travel. She never met a stranger. Um, if you if she had come in here tonight, she would have known all of you. She'd been cracking jokes. She's just super personality. Lots of fun. In fact, she wanted me to take her to the Grand Canyon. So we did. She paid the way. And I took her to the Grand Canyons years, uh, years ago. And we had a blast. We had a ball. And I had so much fun because she paid for everything. <laughs> uh, and then she eventually uh, got older. And uh, really, she almost died. Her potassium was so low. And she was, she was best friends with the male lady who would come and, and talk to her and stuff. And she loved to write letters. She would always write letters. Uh, she'd probably write us a letter every month. But they, they realized that that was time for her. She was about 89, 90. It was time for her to move, sell that house. And uh, they sold her house in Falls Church right before the housing bubble, right before. 
And then they moved her out to Kansas where Dale uh, took care of her. She lived by herself in an apartment. She recovered from that little episode. And she was very independent, still drove, drove us crazy. <laughs> no, she, she was great. And then uh, we would take care of her whenever Dale and Jody would go on vacation. So she'd, we'd go up and get her. She'd stay with us for a while. Um, and she got pretty uh, needy. Um, I had times where I was really taking care of her a lot, like a nurse would, but she was very precious to me. When she had, when she, uh, excuse me, in, in 2008, I believe it was, in, in uh, um, nine, no, 2009, in February, she fell. Uh, and she didn't fall because of her muscles. I believe it was more of her heart. And, uh, and so we knew she was uh, 90, almost 94. So in March, she turned March 10th. She turned um, 94, and uh, she never really recovered from that. She went into the hospital. You know, we, we would go up and see her and stuff, but she passed away on June 13th, 2009. If you know what my boy's birthday are, um, it's June 12th, 2010. And there's no mistake in that. That's God's, again, his hand. And I hope you can see his hand throughout all this, because... When she passed away, obviously my husband's dad already had passed away, and his brother, he, she only had one other boy, and he had passed away as well. And so there was an inheritance that was given to the um, to Lovey and to Dale and Jody and John and another um, cousin in Florida. And with that money, we knew that, well exactly what God wanted us to do with that. We even we had you know gone and interviewed with like or had a foster care company kind of come over and but we knew we just had no peace about that at the time and that was of the lord so we knew that this money was just enough to get us through a second round of ivf and it was really neat because the beginning of that year before even margaret had that fall it was again of the lord i had so much peace and i said and it was like the lord had already told me this is your year and i don't mean to you know misquote scripture but it like the fullness of time had come you know that that idea there where um I just knew. I just knew that something really special was going to happen. It was the it was the time, and so she passed away in June, and we were able to start second round of IVF. Now, that's a you know that what happened during the first round is that they keep very meticulous charts of everything that happens in your body. So they were able to change around all the medicines for me, and um, and, and I already knew. I didn't know exactly what would happen. But uh, I knew the Lord was going to do something really special. And it was so neat because every, you know, when you're in the Word and you're listening to the preaching. And I remember in that September that year, our pastor was preaching on Christ as King from Matthew. Because Matthew was all about the King and just praying, Lord, you are the King of Heaven. You are, you are the Creator. Please do a work in my body um, that only you can do. And so we started that procedure in September. And, um, and their birthday is uh, literal uh, soul day, birthday, whatever you want to call it, is October 16th. So we call that our little family day. And um, how that works is they uh, retrieve part of the female, part of the, the male, and they um, uh, put them together under glass and they watch the embryos grow. And um, by the time it's time to take them and put them back in to the woman, they've determined whether or not they're different levels and qualities and stuff. And we, we, we didn't have very good. Uh, oh, that's right. You came out and stayed with me. See, all these memories are coming back. Mom came out and stayed with me uh, for those couple days. And I had a horrible experience. I mean, my body was all swollen up. 
they didn't know if they were going to have to freeze the embryos and then try to give them to me later. And because, you know, and so anyways, so, I remember just being passionate and just praying, God, please, you know, protect um, and, and guide the doctor. And we went in that next day when we weren't sure what's going to happen. And we got in that little room and he said, he came out and he said, you've got a, and they use letters. A is the best. You've got a B and a C and a E or something like that. B, D, something like that. And that just meant they're all letters. And that's really good news. And I just heard, you've got a B. And I was like, B is for boy. <laughs> and so that was my first thought. It was crazy. You do crazy thoughts when you're under the, you know, in the hospital like that. But anyways, so uh, we went home and I just, you know, uh, was praying and, and, um, anyways, we knew very early all my, they gave me the three embryos and all my levels from very early on were really, really high. And so I'm pretty sure that all of them, but I did, um, have some, uh, issues two weeks later and I was able to go and I really thought I had lost them. I was just praying and, and we went in and they did a very early, um, ultrasound and, uh, they were able to find those little, you know, the, the little, you can see it like within two weeks and the procedure and they saw two and we were just thrilled. I was, I, I still, I wasn't like jumping up and down or anything. I was just, just looking and I was like, I could not believe it that that was my body. And there were two little somethings growing in there. That was just an amazing feeling. And, uh, and then a month later, no, two months later, cause that was the end of October, beginning of November. So, um, I remember it was December 10th. We found out that there were three and both of us were like, <gasps> What are we going to do with it? You know, because it was just overwhelming to go from no children for that long. And, and again, it wasn't that we didn't want the children, but it was just overwhelming. And I remember struggling and I was, I was like, okay, people were like, well, you got three, do you want two boys, do you want girls, you know, all that stuff. And I don't know why, but you, you know, you start thinking about it, you start thinking about names and, you know, and uh, I had no idea what we, we'd always prayed for a little, I always wanted a little John, you know, I always prayed for him. And then we got the bonus, of course, I teased Joel, he's my bonus baby. So, but it was kind of interesting. And I remember thinking specifically, okay, what, what, what would I want? You know, just praying, would I want two girls and a boy? Would I want two boys and a girl? You know, what would I want? You know, three of everything. And finally, I just thought, you know what? It is so neat to see my husband and be such good friends with his brother. And I thought, that would be really neat to have two boys and a girl. And I don't know why. Maybe, the, obviously, the Lord already knew. It wasn't like I could manipulate that or anything, you know. But uh, the Lord already knew that. And um, But they kept telling us we had three. In January, we, we got those those final pictures January 4th. And then after that, I don't know why, but they didn't take any more visual shots. They would just listen for the heartbeat. So Joel, I don't want to get away from the sound, but Joel was right here. He was up top. He was huge. And then John was on the side. So they would go baby A, baby B, baby C. So for whatever reason, Joel's heartbeat would get picked up twice because they said later on that they believe it was sometime in that January that the, the uh, baby A, something just um, like any other, you know, miscarriage or something. So we do have one in heaven for sure. But what was so traumatic about that is that in January, oh, you've got three. Two weeks later, oh, the three are doing well. To February, oh, you've got three. And I, I remember February 1st, I remember feeling for the first time the little feet, just, you know, the little butterfly feel. And I was like... But it was only two. I, I knew I only could feel two. So it was so confusing because we go in, oh, you got three, you know, all that. So it was actually very interesting because on Monday in March, the 8th, yep, baby A, baby B, baby C. And Wednesday was the actual visual, and they're going to tell us if it was boy or girl. And, and they, we went on Wednesday, and that was March 10th, which was Margaret's birthday. So I, I think it was would have been her 95th birthday. And they said, you've got two healthy boys. And I was 
what do you mean? I've got, you know, I've got three on Monday. They told me I had three, you know. And um, that was that was tough. I, I was confused. I didn't know the right questions to ask. I didn't know, you know. And so we had to go through that. And some sweet family in our church um, sent us a whole bouquet of flowers. I'm so sorry for your loss. And I did a painting of the flowers and took pictures of it. But I didn't know to ask for the remains so we could have a grave. You know, I, I didn't know all those things that you could do. And so, um, but the Lord gave grace and I focused on the fact that I have two healthy boys and they're coming soon. So the Lord allowed that. And I'm, I'm not thankful. I mean, I am thankful. You know, you never know how to say it quite right, but I'm thankful that I can have that heartache where I can tell somebody, I know what it's like to have a miscarriage. I've got a baby in heaven. And I'm also thankful, of course, for our two little boys. So the boys, um, birthday, of course, was the 12th, you know, that, that year, our whole, our whole life and all that stuff in that area was a big roller coaster. So this is roller coaster number two. It's really never ended. You know, it's been um, a blast, but I, I, I don't know why the Lord allowed me to have babies. Uh, they're two little miracles. I don't know how I got pregnant. I mean, I know how the procedure, but as far as the technical side of it, you know, why he chose to allow us to have two healthy babies, but that was his plan. That's what he chose. And I'm thankful for the struggle and through that drawing me closer to himself. And then uh, you can imagine the baby bliss I experienced because I was just thrilled to be a stay-at-home mom. And those first five years were so precious. And then they got to be five in kindergarten and six. And they're still precious, of course, but they're just something about those fun years of being with babies. So I just want to, again, give glory to God for um, how I can sum up past years um, and thank, thank, so thankful for what, that he allowed me to go through that because it really did a, a work in me that drew me closer to himself, made me more tender in so many more areas. And um, we don't know what the future is, but we do know that we have a huge responsibility to raise our boys for the glory of God. And we know that Satan's target's on them. He wants to destroy my children. And you know that because you see how he wants to destroy your children too. But we know that our God is a big God, and he loves them with an intensity. And he'll give me strength every day to be the godly mom. I need to be. Lord, thank you. I give all glory to you, and I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for the word of God, and I thank you that your love is truly vast as the ocean. In Jesus' name, amen.